Welcome to the weekend edition of the BCP podcast. I am James and I am an anti-Biden because he's a fake president and he's terrible for America, even if he had been duly elected president. And I now live in Utah. So of course, what happened on Wednesday got my attention that there was an anti-Biden man who was anti-Biden on the internet And he succumbed to several gunshot wounds, having been killed by the FBI during a raid on his home. Let me show you the reporting on what happened, and let me fill in a little bit of details. First of all, here is uh, put on the internet the actual uh, event. FBI talking to him, and then that. And then the person who was taking the video went down. It was a flashbang. It was not a gunshot, but you don't want to you don't want to mess that up. So the person recording all of a sudden stopped recording when the flashbang went off. Now, I was not made aware of this right when it happened, but I was a few hours after it happened. Junior, my oldest son, knowing that his father now lives in Utah, had texted this to me. Are you going to cover this on your show? And then he sent me a link to the ABC News man killed during FBI raid in connection with threats against Biden and other officials. And I was like, uh, I got back to him. I go, I haven't seen the story yet. Thanks for bringing it to my attention because I was just wrapping up Wednesday morning's episode of the show. I was recording it. Then later, um, I still didn't know that this took place in Utah. I just saw the headline. I'm like, oh, okay. And then Junior texts me again. He goes, Twitter thread with more info on Craig Robertson, the man who was killed. And then he sends me uh, some Twitter threads. The FBI just shot and killed an elderly brother in our ward. Um, A ward is a congregation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They're they're called wards as opposed to uh, congregations. They are um, geographical. So there's so many Mormons, so many LDS or Latter-day Saints or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that... Out here in Utah, there's literally a chapel every three or four blocks, and those three or four blocks pretty much are a congregation or a ward. Uh, financial clerk for years, sweet guy. Uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they have uh, everyone volunteers or they're extended, uh, they make calls to them, they extend calls to them to serve, and he was a financial clerk, so he did the financial stuff for their congregation. Sweet guy, full SWAT team. My wife is good friends with his neighbor. She and her five-year-old were terrorized. Wife went to check on her. His body is still laying in the street. My God. So that was, uh, so, and I'm like, okay. Then when I, when I saw this Twitter thread that Junior had sent me, you know, I'm seeing some of the LDS specific words like ward uh, and financial clerk. And I'm like, okay, this, where does this happen? Because I, I, I was still wrapping up Wednesday's episode. So I clicked on it and then looked and saw it was in Utah. And then 
Jr., who's very much interested in the story, sent me another one. He goes, Utah, who allegedly threatened Biden, is killed by FBI on day of presidential visit. So obviously we're aware uh, here in Utah that Joe Biden would be visiting. And I'm leaving California so I could be safer. So let's look into the details. A couple more details have come out in the last few days. And there is another detail that I find to be very interesting. So let me show you some of the news reporting on this and some of the local follow-up to this story. New details about the Utah man who was killed by the FBI as they tried to arrest him for allegedly threatening to assassinate President Biden. Tonight, new video emerging of the standoff before that deadly shooting. Tonight, new video capturing the deadly standoff in Utah as FBI agents tried to arrest a man they say was making credible threats to kill President Biden. Video taken by a neighbor showing agents surrounding a home in Provo early Wednesday morning, yelling for Craig Robertson to come out. Then, a flashbang grenade goes off. Tonight, law enforcement officials telling ABC News Robertson appeared to point a gun at the officers before agents fatally shot him. Hey, FBI, is there body cam footage of that? Is there body cam footage that he pointed weapons at them? They threw a flashbang in there. So the guy could have been sweeping, perhaps, and it could have looked like he was pointing a gun at them. I would just like kind of proof that that's actually what happened. I don't trust the FBI. That's the bottom line. I don't trust Biden. I don't trust the DOJ. I don't trust the FBI. Gunshot wounds. Uh, it's going to be approximately 75-year-old male. A federal complaint listing dozens of Robertson's alleged social media posts. Among them, images of a cache of weapons and multiple violent threats against Biden and other high-profile officials including this one just four days ago. I hear Biden is coming to Utah, digging out my old ghillie suit and cleaning the dust off the M24 sniper rifle. Of course, I didn't read the bottom part. Welcome buffoon in chief. And Lindsay, FBI agents acting swiftly because the president is in Salt Lake City over the last two days, just north of Provo where that raid happened. The shooting is now under investigation. Now, if these alleged posts were actual posts of his, uh, of uh, Mr. Robertson, then, uh, yeah, those are pretty inflammatory. But also, what kind of person actually announces that they're going to do this online and not... I mean, there's so many of these threats. Why'd they go after Robertson? Now, Provo is, I guess, what's about an hour away from Salt Lake? Maybe less. And they caught him in his home in the morning, far from where Biden was. Did they need to kill the man? Well, I don't know. It looks like from the footage, they were ha telling him to put his hands up in the air and he wouldn't uh, do that. So they felt justified in shooting him. But how many threats have they been on Trump's life? And who has been shot over that? I'm sure they did their investigation. A 75-year-old guy? So he had a lot of guns. Big deal. Gun culture is pretty strong here in Utah. One of the reasons why I like living here and I'm glad I moved here. You can walk in and get a firearm the same day. The missus and I have done that several times. A lot of people have guns here in Utah. The, the great law here, I went up um, not too far from where I live, relatively, out to a place called uh, Heber, out past Heber, uh, up on these trails, and I think the the rule of the law is I don't know exactly, don't quote me on it, 
but you have to be 25 or 50 feet away from the road and you have to shoot away from the road. I mean, there's a lot of places. And of course, me having been a Boy Scout, you know, you tread lightly and you clean up after yourself and what have you. But gun culture, a man with a whole bunch of guns in Utah, it's just not very rare. There's something really unsettling about this story. Day now after FBI agent shot and killed Craig Robertson in Provo, accused of threatening the president's life, his family is speaking out. Fox 13 News reporter Chris Arnold has details on what is next in the process of this investigation. A bouquet of flowers sit outside the home of 75-year-old Craig Robinson, a Provo man who was shot and killed Wednesday morning by FBI agents. Earlier this week, the U.S. Attorney's Office for Utah charged him with threatening the life of President Joe Biden and other political leaders. Thursday, his family providing Fox 13 News with this statement, where they described Robertson as a good and decent man. They say the man they knew was a kind and generous person and active in his local church congregation. However, they do admit his statements were intemperate at times, but said he would never commit an act of violence over a political disagreement. From his uh, social media postings, it's, it's clear that he, he not only had uh, possession of firearms, but had expressed interest in being able to use them in various ways to include against anybody that might come to his home to stop stop him from what he was doing, at least based on what I've seen on on uh, references posting. Frank Montoya Jr. is a retired FBI special agent who spent 26 years in seven different field offices. He says, unfortunately, the kind of threats Robertson made on social media are becoming more of the norm. And it appears these types of threats were the norm for Mr. Robertson. We've got this reporting coming from Breitbart. Truth Social informed FBI about man killed during arrest attempt for threatening Joe Biden. Truth Social informed the FBI in March about threats made by a Utah man who was killed by FBI agents on Wednesday as they tried to execute search and arrest warrants for threatening Joe Biden. A senior law enforcement official told NBC News that former President Donald Trump's Truth Social platform notified the FBI about Robertson after he threatened to kill Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. I'll be waiting in the courthouse parking garage with my suppressed Smith & Wesson M&P 9mm to smoke a radical fool prosecutor that should never have been elected, Robertson allegedly wrote, days before Bragg indicted Trump on 34 counts of falsifying business records. So I like the fact, at least at Breitbart, says allegedly wrote did he actually go and sit in a parking garage in the courthouse and wait for and stalk Alvin Bragg apparently not but two FBI agents did conduct surveillance at his home in March right after he made those threats the FBI agents contacted Robertson at his home he defended his post arguing it was a dream and he told him to come back with a warrant according to charging documents. So he knew his rights. Robertson allegedly threatened to kill Biden and posted numerous photos online of the firearms he kept in a gun uh, cache inside his house. Once again, not uncommon. A gun cache is only uncommon and scary to people in New York City and, and other places. E even, in, even in California. Even in liberal California. I know liberals in California that are avid gun enthusiasts. The FBI deemed these threats credible and attempted to serve an arrest and search warrants. So Mr. Robertson told them to come back with a warrant. They came back and they killed him. Now, folks, once again, I'm not saying that 
Mr. Robertson didn't point a gun at them. I mean, he obviously, you know, allegedly made these threats, and that would be of concern. But how many people have been killed for all the many death threats they've made against President Trump and people in his circle? Maxine Waters has even called for violence, and nothing's happened to her. So why the heavy-handedness with Mr. Robertson? That, that's, that's what I'm asking, folks. That's really what I want to know. It's happened all the time. Uh, they're made all the time against the president and, and other government officials. And, and, and the challenge is separating the ones that are just nonsensical from the ones that, that could lead to this kind of violence. With the law enforcement and FBI agents remaining on scene throughout the day Thursday, Montoya gave me an idea of what could come next in the process of this investigation. One of the things that they may be looking at is, does he have any ties to anyone else who is making these kinds of threats or could potentially make these kinds of threats in, in, in terms of a conspiracy or a, a, an organization or even a loose affiliation of individuals that that not only think the same way, but have intentions to act the same way. The Robertson family wrapped up their statement today by saying that they hold no personal animosity toward the individuals who took part in this ill-fated event behind me on Wednesday. Now, I did reach out to the FBI in Salt Lake earlier today, and they told me they weren't releasing any new information as this investigation continues. Now, one thing that occurred to me is maybe this is a case of suicide by cop. Interestingly enough, we have this article from Breitbart. U.S. suicides hit an all-time high last year. That's why it's called the depression, right? Or a recession uh, goes into depression when you have a fake president. Not blaming Biden for this, but I don't think the uh, suicides were high during President Trump. At least not all-time high. I don't remember any news like that. Shy of 50,000 people took their own lives last year in the U.S., the highest number ever. About 49,500 people took their own lives last year in the U.S., according to a new government data posted Thursday. The CDC, which posts the numbers, has not yet calculated a suicide rate for the year, but available data suggests suicides are more common in the U.S. than any other time since the dawn of World War II. There's something wrong. The numbers should not be going up, says Christina Wilbur, a 45-year-old Florida woman who... Son shot himself to death last year. Now, it could have been, who knows what it is. I don't know. I can't even imagine. Uh, and I pray for those that have clinical depression and just feel so overwhelmed that they kill themselves. I listened to a podcast recently, um, the Diary of a CEO podcast with this guy, Brian Johnson, I think is his name. He's trying to live for a long time. So I was listening to part of that uh, uh, podcast and Brian says like he, he was in a position where literally every day he had this thought, which he says felt like it didn't come from like him, like it wasn't his conscious thought, it was like a like a planet thought, like a, you know, like a demon talking to him. He didn't say that, but that's how I kind of perceived it of like telling him like constantly to kill himself and that he'd be better off dead. And, and folks, we have to pray for these people that, that feel this way. And it's sad that, that U.S. suicides have hit an all-time high last year. In the U.S., things aren't as good as they were just a few years ago. All right, I want to end this uh, this particular weekend report with an excellent segment on the Steve Bannon war room with more information 
on the rigging of the elections in Michigan in 2020. I think I've been reporting on this every single day the last, I think the fourth day in a row of reporting on this. And this was known in Trump circle. This was known in DC at the time what was going on in Michigan. And does it come as any surprise that Bill Barr silenced, crushed, and squashed all investigations into this? Of course not. That should not come as a surprise to anyone within the sound of my voice who has been paying attention and or is plugged into this show. Foster joins us. Andrew, you were over with Johnny McEntee in, in the Trump White House in the fall of 2020, were you not, sir? Correct. And so you're you're a I White was. House official, and Johnny McEntee ran a great I shop was. over there. Uh, just t- tell me your story related to this situation that's come up the last couple of days of Gateway Pundit breaking the story on the situation in in, in Michigan about these about these uh, uh, applications, uh, voter registration applications uh, in in. Uh, in Michigan. Can you walk me through your knowledge of this? Sure. So it was kind of funny. I, I, I saw GBI strategies on a tweet and I immediately went down the rabbit hole because it brought back a lot of memories of the waning days of the Trump administration. So this was right before the election 2020. I was in the White House. I was also uh, at the uh, Office of Personnel Management. So I was like the main personnel attorney government wide and hatchet man and all of that. And I did a lot of spot projects um, and fixing just generally across the admin on on behalf of the president and his agenda. And I got through, I have a lot of contacts. You know, I've been in the movement for a long time. I was at Heritage. I've worked with lots of people at the state level. Um, I did the Wisconsin investigation for Gableman. So I I have a wide network. And I got a call um, basically saying, look, I've got a spooked law enforcement senior guy, been there like 20 years unimpeachable record out in Muskegon, Michigan, and he's got a story that we think is worth looking into. All right, so we have someone in legal working for the Trump administration for the Trump agenda, end of 2020, and he gets word that someone in Muskegon, Michigan is someone with an impeccable record. Very important because what the left always tries to do is they try to discredit the messenger so they don't have to address the message. So everyone here is above the board, well-vetted professionals. I think that's an important distinction or important part of Mr. Uh, Kloster here speaking and the people that were in Michigan bringing this to his attention. And that's exactly what Gateway Pundit is talking about. So I can confirm a lot of the details and give you some more. What ended up happening is, uh, my understanding, I, I reached out and spoke with uh, some law, local law enforcement. Uh, what happened was there was a woman, uh, my understanding, is basically loitering outside of a drop box all day. And she gets picked up by a junior guy and arrested because he's like, what are you doing? You're stuffing this. What's going on? So they routinely, you know, they arrest her. And she basically spills the beans. She's a Democratic operative. She's got filled out ballots, like 7,000 is what I was hearing, and they arrested her. Now, the senior guy, my understanding, was uh, was off at the time. So the junior guy who picked her up, you know, got her statement and released her, and she went back to Detroit. So Muskegon's like the suburbs, Detroit, she went back to Detroit. They caught her 
interfering and she cops to it, she admits to it, they get her statement and let her go. This is a frustrating part of the story. Imagine if they had not let her go. Uh, the senior guy comes back in the next day or later in the day and says, what the hell? You know, you had her dead to rights. Why did you release her? And starts trying to get an extradition order from Detroit uh, because this is before the election. We're hearing there could be voter fraud. And here you've got someone basically copping to it and caught with her hand in the cookie jar. Um, Detroit doesn't give an extradition order. And the next thing you know, um, everyone clams up. And I'm hearing, well, Benson's leaning on people threatening jobs. So when I hear this in the White House, you know, we've got our eyes out, at least the loyal ones. At least the loyal ones. We know now that there are a lot of disloyal people in the Trump administration. A lot of people just want to get a career. They either were career D.C. people or just want to be part of the swamp or thought that uh, Trump is uh, damaged goods. Let's not be loyal to Trump because we want to keep our jobs. People have all kinds of different motivations. But I think it's very interesting that Mr. Kloster here says that he was one of the loyal ones, which of course means there were disloyal ones as well, like Bill Barr, who were not only disloyal, but they were cover-upperers and swamp creatures working against Trump from within. I try to raise a red flag. I do a little bit of light reaching out, not to not to disrupt anything, but just to kind of vet and make sure that I'm dealing with people who aren't lying and people who are, are credible. And then I try to reach out to different components within the Trump administration to say, hey, this is there's at least probable cause here. You know, I'm an attorney. Um, I've worked on some criminal stuff. There's at least probable cause here. Someone should take a look, talk with the relevant law enforcement and figure out what happened here, because, you know, just as what happened with Georgia, you know, you've got someone basically copying to voter fraud and then, uh, you know, you get the whole story. And then the next thing you know, they're they're out in Jamaica or whatever, the Dems have, have found the person, co-opted them, told them to shut up, and then and then plugged all the leaks. Um, well, I got to say, when I raised that issue in the administration, uh, no one was very happy about it. There were basically, my understanding was standing orders not to deal with election matters, both from the White House counsel and from Barr. Both White House counsel and Attorney General Bill Barr. The swamp was in that administration in the, on the legal team and within the legal team, they were working against President Trump. Please, President Trump, when you go back, make sure you get people who are loyal. Figure out some kind of litmus test. Not loyal to you, but loyal to we, the people who elected you and our Constitution, the rule of law, and fair and free elections. I think one of the litmus tests should be, was the 2020 election stolen? If someone says, I'm not sure, President Trump, don't even have them in your administration. Really, don't have them. Uh, that's my two cents. By that list, Ms. Test, I could find myself working in the Trump administration. I'm not seeking any position with his administration. I'm just saying, I think that would be a great litmus test, a great weeder question. Once again, not loyalty to President Trump, just the man, but loyalty to the MAGA America First mission that the American people want and which is why they voted him the winner in both 2016 and 2020 to lead this country. I happen to know Barr's uh, 
chief of staff, Will Levy, because I had I had worked at Heritage and run a uh, a lunch basically for Senate staffers, and he had he had been a Senate counsel when I was there, so I knew him. You know, I called him up and tried to put the flag up into the to the voting rights section, uh, CRD, uh, DOJ, and and White House counsel in a couple different places, and got stiff armed. Uh, and then you know later on, hear from. Uh, Johnny and others that basically then the White House counsel swoops in and starts screaming, you know, what the hell are you guys doing? Um, so that's that's really the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, see, a, see a lot of fire, try to raise the flag, and get smacked down by weak Republicans in the deep state. This is an official in the Trump administration letting us know that, yes, there is a deep state and a whole bunch of weak Republicans. But there is a deep state. It's not some conspiracy thing. And there's a deep state in D.C. And there's also a deep state within different states. Which is why this woman who was caught and confessed was later protected. So when did this roughly occur? We heard from the Hoffs, their investigation and and Patty McMurray in the documents they had, the police report shows this is an October of 2020 before the election. I just want to be as precise as we can with you. When did you, when did this first come to your attention? So it looks like, you know, I looked at the gateway pundit thing. It looks like the incident might've occurred on October 8th, but I was getting uh, calls maybe two weeks later. So this is like, you know, the last communication I think I have on it is like the 29th of October, at least with the sources. Um, But yeah, so this, this occurred in sort of early October and this woman got arrested. She's a, apparently a known Democratic operative, got released back accidentally, went to Detroit. And then uh, bizarrely, because, you know, in a state, if you're arrested, you know, if you're in one city and you need to get an arrest warrant in some, another city in the state, that's usually pretty easy. It's, it's extradition, but it's, it's pretty easy because it's in one state. But just Detroit, I guess, just declined to, to pick this woman back up. She was very much protected. Oh, the deep state is... Very deep. Remember in Detroit, the TCF, was it the TFC? I think it's the TCF Center. It's now the Huntington Center, but it was the convention center there in Detroit where they had the whole entire operation to rig the election in the state of Michigan through Detroit. And obviously in other places in the state as well, as we've been covering over the last few days. And the deep state is deep in every state. For instance, uh, one of the people that was part of the cover-up is Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State of Michigan. Kind of like how we have Rat Rat Bassettberger, Rat Raffensberger in Georgia, also part of the machine. The machine, meaning state secretaries of state and people in high positions that are part of the whole rigging operation of the 2020 election. So this happened in October. Um, and then I remember seeing a very watered-down cover-up uh, police report or, or public statement by the Muskegon police later, which didn't say anything about them being actual ballots, kind of watered it down to say it might have been blank applications or something like that, which is still shady. Uh, but they watered it down and kind of buried the story to cover up to cover up the fact of the arrest. But to me, the main thing was that... Uh, Benson got involved and that she was leaning on these senior people in the county, which is a public corruption issue. You know, you're not allowed to cover up for a crime uh, and threaten people's jobs and say, don't don't investigate crimes. That's that's unlawful. 
how much lawlessness have we seen in the last few years, especially when it comes to election and election fraud from secretaries of state? We've got uh, Jocelyn Benson in Michigan. We've got Brad Raffensperger in Georgia. We have the now governor, fake governor of Arizona, who was the former secretary of state that worked on the rigging and then fought to keep the rigging of her own election from being investigated. And another one's coming to my mind right now. It's escaping me. It'll come to me in a second. Colorado, I believe. I think it's Colorado I'm thinking of. I just want to make sure, and you raised the flag with people at uh, at Justice, at DOJ, that Correct. or at least were in areas or connected to areas that could have looked into this in October of 2020, correct? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, for example, you know, I did a lot of the, I did all of the senior uh, loyalty tests uh, uh, at the Department of Justice, you know, interviewing people like Jeff Clark or whatever, um, really just to, it wasn't loyalty tests, but so I knew a lot of people over there and I knew people in the civil rights division, which is relevant. And we actually had a couple of career folks uh, that were over there. And so I spoke with them as well. Um, And the signals I got both through the white house and through the department of justice and through the careers, of the department of justice, it was, it was the same story over and over again. Leadership is not interested in this. We're not even going to make a phone call. And it was very much worth a phone call to you know, 20 year veteran law enforcement in a state who says we have evidence of a crime that's relevant to federal jurisdiction. You think you'd give them a phone call, but no, they had no interest in it. I know this maybe has nothing to do with anything, but hearing this and the animus and everyone working from within, not everyone, but many, most, actually most people being disloyal to President Trump and the people wanting status quo. It is an absolute miracle from our almighty God in heaven that President Trump got anything done. They were after him. The, President Trump had to put up with all kinds of BS from the press to the FBI to the DOJ, his own DOJ, the FBI, Comer, uh, the, the Russian collusion hoax, them spying on him, false impeachments, and he still got more done President Trump is an incredible man. Even if you hate his personality, it's that same SOB personality that made him so effective. Everyone else, including yours truly, I don't think I would have had the fortitude to continue to push through all of these things when your own counsel, your own people, your own Department of Justice is working against you and wants the swamp to go back to status quo. And the biggest liar caught in all of this, well, I mean, not the biggest liar, because we already knew he lied, is Bill Barr. Bill Barr, didn't you say that you wanted everyone to see if there was any truth to all these rumors that there might be election or voter fraud in 2020, yet you did nothing about this? I'm getting ahead of myself. Watch this next part. Or listen if you're on the podcast. If you're on the podcast listening on Apple, Spotify, please find the follow button on the app that you're using to listen to this podcast and press follow. It'll really help us grow this podcast. Much appreciated. Let's get back to this next clip. So 
So, so it, it, I'm a leaf Cipollone in the White House Council for a second. But so when you hear in the media reported in depth that that Barr sat in the Oval Office and told the president he had asked for reports from the field offices, Detroit and, and the U.S. attorneys in, in Michigan being one. And he had asked in Georgia and all these states, including Pennsylvania, and that they he got reports back. He has reports and reports came back that there was no voter fraud whatsoever. Right. When he says that, you would say that that would be a lie? Well, I'm a bureaucrat at heart, <laughs> and I would say that's not a lie, because if you cover your ears and you tell them not to make the reports, then there aren't going to be any reports, and you can uh, you can report that honestly. It's kind of like the old saw about Harriet Tubman's dad blindfolding himself so he could say he didn't see his daughter, right? Uh, it's the same thing here. They're, they're covering their eyes and ears. They're giving standing orders orally, of course, probably nothing in writing. Uh, to, to bury all this stuff. So when the big boss asks the question, are there reports? You can say, no, there are absolutely no reports. For those of you listening on the podcast and heard a pause, that was me physically putting my hands over my eyes, my ears, and my mouth. I don't see anything. I didn't hear anything. And therefore, there's no records to say otherwise. And President Trump, God bless that man, wants to run again for President of the United States so they can kick him in the teeth again. Either he has an incredibly big ego or, and or, actually I should say, he actually loves this country and his fellow countrymen. Something none of these treasonous traitors rat bastards could ever understand because they are demonic devilish, evil, wicked, Luciferian Satanists who only think about themselves, their pleasures, and their wants and don't give a damn about their fellow citizens. Seriously, folks, these people kill their own babies and we think they're working for us? How naive must you be? He actually said there. he asked for reports. It was only later the Epic Times said there were no reports. He report he reported to the president. He had asked for reports to the field offices, and there were no, there was no uh, voter fraud at all. This is what I think it's in his book too. So uh, you, yeah, you're yeah. saying I when mean, you talk to the chief of staff, they 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 didn't want any they didn't want any they didn't want any involvement essentially DOJ before Correct. the fact. Correct. Absolutely, and that was it was really disappointing because you know you had lots of solid people that wanted to look into these sorts of things. Um, and, you know, again, I, I worked later on the, on the Gableman investigation in Wisconsin. The story is always the same. Our side, our weak Republicans on our side, scuttle investigations, do a half-assed job of it. Um, and then when nothing comes of those investigations, they say, well, see, we told you so. And, well, no, it's, it's not because there's nothing there. It's because you actively undermine your own side and our own efforts. Uh, and then that supports the left-wing narrative, it demoralizes the base, um, and it's really just a big part of the, how the uniparty works. I like Andrew. I've got to put him on my short list of people that I would like to have on the show if and when, if and when I start having guests and do interviews. This is a guy in the Trump sphere speaking just like us about the deep state and the uniparty. He's got a lot of insight, a lot of insight. Now, if you've been with me for a while, you'll know that after 20, at the end of 2020, 2021, I left the Republican Party. I've always been a conservative first and a Republican second. 
I've been a I've been disenchanted with the Republican Party ever since George W. Bush. This this was a time when man, I was not popular with my fellow Republicans. Like, what are you, a Democrat? I'm like, no, man. I just don't like these wars that are unnecessary. I don't like the lying about weapons of mass destruction. I'm not going to defend George W. Bush, who's a freaking idiot. And 9-11 was an inside job. Oh, you sound like you're you're a, a, a Bush hater. I was putting up with this crap from fellow Republicans. And they're everywhere. And unfortunately, these fake Republicans, I mean the Republicans, in that they are part of the Republican swamp, they're fake conservative Republicans. They're everywhere and they're entrenched. And they are our enemy. Make no mistake about it. Uh, last question. You're saying your reward for this was that the White House counsel came to Johnny McEntee or came to the personnel department and complained about your, your they didn't, well, they weren't interested in the voter fraud. They were concerned about your activities and trying to alert people to this. Yes. Yeah. And, and my understanding is there might have been some sort of Carter era deep state protocol whereby the White House typically doesn't communicate with DOJ that much, which makes no political sense. So there might have been some sort of, in their mind, norm violated. But it wasn't the first time. I mean, I'd gotten, I still remember being fired at 8 a.m. one morning from the White House and Johnny saying, can't, can't save you, and then making a couple phone calls and having some people call Trump and then being rehired back by the end of the day. So, I mean, I that office had it out for me from the very beginning. So it wasn't anything surprising. I hope uh, Andrew Kloster finds himself once again in the Trump administration. Seems like the kind of guy that we need there. He's one of us. Fired by the deep state, rehired by the end of the day by our truly, truly patriot, beloved, and duly elected president, Donald John Trump. No, they didn't take any action on it either. Uh, do you have uh, Do you have social media, uh, Andrew? I do. It's Ar Kloster on Twitter. Perfect. That's that's beginning the landing team. That's getting the landing team ready for the uh, next administration. Absolutely, Andrew Kloster, a pretty ex- pretty explosive. Thank you very much, sir. Thank Patriot you. and hero. All right, follow Mr. Kloster on social media. I uh, just did. And uh, maybe let him know that he should be on the BCP podcast. A daily show, which means I will have another report for you tomorrow. Until then, ciao, goodbye. God bless. Gotta give us what we want. Uh. Gotta give us what we need. Hey. Our freedom of speech is freedom of death. We, we got, got to fight the powers that be. Fight the power. Fight the power.